young. I, I, I like to think I'm young, but I'm, I'm, I'm crossing over into the new stage, you know, the stage where you wake up and just hurt and you don't know why, um, where music seems too loud. Um, you just innately feel very judgmental of public things and policies and you think, well, they never used to or that, you know, and so I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, I'm kind of excited, right? Um, but then also I forget things, right? I, it's easy to forget uh, if you walk into rooms and then you enter the room like the kitchen or the garage and you forget why you came in to that. Or if you're married, you can maybe relate to this, right? Your spouse asks you, hey, please remember to do this one thing today. And I have a habit, and maybe it's just me, but if remembering that one thing at the exact moment when I see her later that evening, <laughs> so just in time for her to ask me, hey, did you do this? Oh, yeah, right. Or maybe you've gone to the grocery store, and, uh, and you're going for one thing right? And you fill up the cart, you check out, you're feeling really good and adulting well, right? That's a win, right? You get the spot, you get the stuff, you go home, you're unloading, and at that point you realize, I forgot the one thing that I was supposed to do. Well, today we are going to talk about the one thing Christians were called to do. The one thing that we're called to do. That's why this morning's message is entitled, First Priority. But thankfully for us, we don't have to wonder, is this going to be on the test? We don't have to wonder, what is it, God, that he wants to do? Because we have the written and living word of God, his life and ministry. And we actually have the last words of Jesus. And the life of Jesus, the Son of God, was intentional it was missional, it was relational. And so everything he did had a purpose with it. And so we don't have to wonder what is it we're called to do as Christians. Because in his last words to his disciples, he gives us our calling as believers. And so if you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus' last words should be our first priority. Jesus' last words should be our first priority. Jesus came, we celebrated Christmas, it was great. Right? He, around the age of 30, begins his earthly ministry for about three years, travels in and around Jerusalem, preaching, performing miracles, people are healed, he feeds the 5,000, he walks on water, the disciples are amazed, he comes back into Jerusalem, he gets crucified on the cross, all hope is lost. Only three days later, he rises again, defeats death itself. And I don't know about you, but if I'm Jesus, and I went through all of that, and I experienced all the betrayal, and I experienced the crucifixion and death itself, when I'm rising again, I think I'm just going to keep going. You know what I mean? Like, he, come, he, he dies, buried, comes back. And like, I'm not stopping again. Like, I, I'm like, ah, good, good luck, everybody. Right? I'm not getting off on that floor again. Like, I've seen that. But he does. And he comes back for 40 days. And a good reason for that is that as he interacted with the different people, it actually proved the reality of his resurrection. And the proof of his resurrection showed the proof of the power of salvation. 
Because you can fake something for a moment. You can fake a hallucination or a magic trick or something for a moment. But for 40 days, with over 500 people, different times of day, eating, sleeping, drinking, talking, walking, different places, morning, afternoon, evening, night. You can't fake that one. And so after 40 days, we get to the final words of Jesus. And so this is why he came. And he's going to look at his disciples. And just basically, can you remember in school when the teacher would say, this will be on the test? Right? You want to take note of that. It's, Jesus is doing that in this situation. He says, hey, this is the test. This is what you're called to do. And we, ha- we don't have to wonder. We have his words found in Matthew 28 and then in Acts 1. And so we're going to read these today. Acts chapter 28, verses, starting at verse 16. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee. Why are there eleven? Well, Judas betrayed him. He's out. Okay, so he's down to eleven. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Do you wonder who's in that doubt category at that point? Like, you got to be like the most skeptical person. You know what I mean? Like, you're physically there. Three years of ministry, miracles, walking on water, maybe even received the bread and the feeding of the 5,000. My cousin Sally was healed from lame. This person was brought back to life. Like, like I, used to, I went to grade school with Lazarus. Like, that's wild, right? And then he conquers death itself. It's been 40 days since the resurrection. People are singing the praises of God, and there's someone on the side going, I don't know, though. Is it? Is it? Right? Like, that's the skeptic, skeptic. But the reason I actually love this as well is because if people doubted Jesus, I promise you people are going to doubt you. This means that you're not alone. (laughs) That no matter how you live, what you say, there are going to be some people who doubt. But also... The first part is true, that there will be people who, because of your life and testimony and story, will turn and worship. And this is why we do that. The goal here is not to bat a thousand. We can't do that. We can't do that personally. We can't do that as an organization. We're not going to see that in the world. The goal is to follow Jesus. And let him decide the outcomes on that. So he says, some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What is the all authority he's talking about? I don't know. How about the authority that just defeated death? Right? Like this is not long removed. Like, hey, remember when, when like death didn't touch me? Right? That's the authority. That's the card I'm playing here. Okay, if you, if you ever had a conversation with kids... Well, why should I do that? Dad said so. Mom said so. Right? Right. We brought you into this world. We can take you out. Right? Like, if you played that card. Jesus is playing that, but he's playing the, oh, I don't know, life card. Like, if I can conquer death, you should probably think about what I'm about to tell you. Authority matters. We're going to dive deeper in just a second. It says, authority in heaven and on earth. It's both has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
Again, including himself in that. So he's equating himself with God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Trinity. He's not saying, like the prophets and disciples say, I baptize you in the name of God. I baptize you in the name of In this phrase right here, he's saying, baptize people in my name. That's important. He's not just a teacher. He's God. And then he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So he's not saying just share the gospel, get them saved, get them dunked, right? We're thinking, you know, in the pandemic, all the pastor groups I was in, they're like, how are we supposed to do baptism now with COVID? And, P- and one guy submitted like dunk tank, you know, <laughs> like, but I don't know. I don't, I don't trust my fastball, so I don't want to risk your eternity on my arm. So uh, we didn't do that. But like, you know, like people are like, how do we do baptisms and that? So here in that case, it says, okay, you don't just baptize and say, all right, see ya, good luck, Right? Go, baptizing them so they believe, and then teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. So it is an ongoing process. There is evangelism and discipleship. There's an ongoing journey that comes. It's not about just praying a prayer, checking a box, going through that, but rather going on a journey with Jesus that changes your life forever. And so it goes through, teach them to all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So he sandwiches that in. He starts with authority. He gives the command. It really is the great commission, right? And then he ends with a promise. I'm with you. So you're not, you're not alone in this. Right? When you're teaching a small child a skill, you're saying, hey, go for it. Jump. Daddy's here. Mommy's here. I'm with you. Don't be scared. I'm with you. Hold my hand. Let's go. Okay? Now, with this first thing here, the fact that there's worship and then some who doubt, John Piper put it this way. He says, missions exist because worship doesn't. Isn't that good? Missions exist because worship doesn't. This is why we're sharing the gospel. This is why we say things like we're for the community, because people are not worshiping him as Lord and Savior. We have the answer. That's why it's called the good news. People are searching for meaning and fulfillment in life, and we have the opportunity to share that. Because the gospel makes you better at life as well as your life better. Now let's clarify better. Better doesn't necessarily mean possessions, materials, popularity, health, whatever. That's seen as the prosperity gospel. Your life is better because you have significance. You have meaning and purpose and the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, the innermost cravings of your soul. And so when we have that, we offer that because you share what you love. And so missions exist where worship doesn't. This is why we go to the ends of the earth. This is why we go to our neighbors. This is why we have the conversations so that we can share the good news of Jesus with others. Now the next thing I want to share too is it's really important to understand that we have the authority of God with us. I have this thing and I don't know if it's because I'm tall. I don't know if it's because I'm just probably naively overly confident just in life. Like I've just on mission trips and things I just tend to just walk down the street and just like yeah it'll be fine. Um, And people just when you walk with confidence like that sometimes people assume you work for a place and so I'll go into places and they think I work there. Now, granted, sometimes it's, I've set it up against myself or for myself, depending. Um, for example, 
you know, having three kids, there a few years ago we started, so five years ago we started in the church at this time. I'm trying to work. We don't have an office. We don't have a building, which, by the way, is going awesome. And, um, and so I'm trying to find places to work, and our gym membership to Mountainside Fitness includes two hours of childcare every day. I'm like, done. Gym or co-working space. And so I would grab my laptop just a handful of times, okay, often, and um, I would go and I would check the kids in. It was great. They got a bounce house. They got a mini gym. They got video games. They're good. But I wouldn't even wear gym clothes. I would just be like this, and I would have my laptop. I'd check them in, and they go on the floor. Where, where are you going to be today? It's like, yeah, I'm on the floor. Cardio, like with shoes like this. <laughs> and, and I would go, and uh, at first I'd go to the community table, but that got kind of distracting. And so then I realized they have some open desks there. If you go to the gym, you understand what I'm talking about. And so I just would plop down on the desk and just go to work for two hours, set a timer that would ding, go get my kids and go home. It was great. Um, except what I found was sitting at that desk on a computer looking intense, uh, people just assumed I worked there. And so they would start to ask me questions. So the first person would come up and be like, hey, I don't work here. They're really confused, and I uh, just let it go. Second person um, come up, ask me a question, and is like, hey, um, I'm sorry, I don't work here. The third person asked me a question. I was like, yeah, I can help you. What do you need? <laughs> and I was doing well. Like, I thought it was well. I even thought about going to Goodwill and getting, like, a Mountainside Fitness shirt or something just to, like, seem official. And, uh, I'm, but I drew the line where they asked me to, like, change classes, they're like, hey, is there going to be this class? And I, and I finally had to admit to them, like, look, I don't actually work here. Um, I don't have any authority to make any decisions here. The authority matters. And so when we go into this world, we're not going on our own power, but because of and through the very power and authority of God. And so that means that when we walk into the place when we walk into our conversations and into our relationships, we can have confidence that God's going to move because we have the power, presence, and promises of God with us. Amen? So then what is a disciple? If we're supposed to make them, what are they? Simply put, a disciple is a follower of Jesus. It's a follower of Jesus. The word disciple is actually used over 270 times in the New Testament, and the word Christian actually is only used three times. And the reason that's important to understand the difference is that in those three times the word Christian is used, it's not, it's not a bash. I mean, we are called Christians or a little Christ. But really in those verses, it's actually used to confirm that, yes, they are a disciple. And the fact that it's 270 times versus three times means that there's not like, okay, you're a Christian here, but then once you get serious, then you become a disciple. No, to be a Christian is to be a disciple of Jesus. And then to be a disciple is to also be called to be a disciple maker. Because this is the one thing God wants us to do. The one thing he told us to do is to make disciples. A follower of Jesus. But to break it down a little bit more, the way that Jesus called disciples, or what he referred to them, comes from Matthew 4.19. He's calling his first disciples, they're fishermen, but even the writer of Matthew is a tax collector. We're going to read a passage in Acts written by Luke, a doctor, and so there's people from all different trades, 
But he says this in 419. He says, and Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This one verse gives us three components of being a disciple of Jesus. Number one is to follow Jesus. Meaning, are you living the way that Jesus did? Are you walking the way that Jesus did? To follow Jesus is a daily experience. It's not perfect. It's not a destination, but it is a direction. It is a relationship. It is ongoing. If someone says, are you a disciple of Jesus? And your response is, I prayed a prayer when I was six. Right? That's not about that. It's an ongoing relationship. If someone comes to you and says, hey, how is your marriage? And I go, December 16th, 2006. Well, why are you just giving me a date? Well, that's the day we got married. And I said, okay, but how is your marriage? <laughs> right? Yes, you, marriages need a wedding day, so it's important. But that's the beginning of your journey. Not the only part of it. So are you following Jesus? The second thing is that a disciple fellowships with believers. Fellowship is a very churchy word that just simply means deep community with others. It said, Jesus said to them. Now there are instances where individuals were called to God, but individuals were never called to God alone. So God might have called you personally, but he calls you for community. This is why we say that we are supposed to be in community, that we need each other, that the church is the bride of Christ, that we are the body of Christ, that we need you and you need me, and that together we can follow after God because life is hard. If you picture a campfire and you remove one log, which goes out, the campfire or the individual log? The individual log every time because so we need each other. So you follow Jesus, you have fellowship with believers, and the third thing is that we fish for unbelievers. Now, in this case, we say fish because they were fishermen. <laughs> but are you sharing the good news with others? This good news is not meant just to be kept to yourself. That as you're changed, you can share that with others. As we read the other passage of the final words of Jesus found in Acts, it's read this, Acts chapter 1. In the first book, so Luke and Acts, if you didn't know, were actually connected, written by the same author to the same audience, to Theophilus. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, that's the audience, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he is taken up, and after he has given his commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me that John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they came together, they asked him, Lord, were you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. I wish that verse wasn't in there, but it is. That means that even in our season, we're not going to know the future. We're not going to know the results. But thankfully, the authority of God and the power of God, he, through that, he does. He says, you're not going to know, but what you do have is better. It says verse 8. But you will receive power. That's the Greek word dynamis. is where we get our English word dynamite. So that power, 
bang, boom. You will see power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, these are angels, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. It's like, what, okay, what are you doing? You can keep looking up, but he's coming back, and in the meantime, you've got a job to do. So why, as disciples, as followers of Jesus, why are we supposed to invest in other people? Well, C.S. Lewis put it this way. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Why do we follow Jesus? Why are we disciples? Because it changes everything. The very words of Jesus in John 10 says this, that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Why do we do this? Because the words and life of Jesus change everything. I want to ask three questions this morning. The first one is, am I following Jesus? Why or why not? Can you take an honest look of your life? Not perfectly, but right now. Why? Why do you call yourself a Christian? Are you able to say, yep, this is, makes my life different. This changes everything. I can't not be a Christian. So I want you to try to answer that question. Why do you believe? And if you don't, be honest. Why do you not believe? Can you ask that question? The second one is who? Who can help me take my next step of faith? All throughout Scripture, there are pattern after pattern. People being discipled and then making disciples. Is there somebody in your life that you can go to and ask a question, have a conversation that can encourage you and hold you accountable? Do you have someone in your life like that? I hope so. Can you write that down? Identify that person. Say, hey, can, you, can we have some conversations together? You don't have to scare the person. I mean, if you have a really close relationship, you can say things like disciple or mentor me. If you really don't know the person, it might scare them and be like, can you mentor me? Like, maybe just start with an easier question. Like, hey, I like your heart. Can I, can I just pick your brain on some stuff? <laughs> right? Do you have that person? But then the last question here is whom? Whom can I help take his or her next step? Every single person in this room can be discipled and be a disciple maker right now. Being a disciple maker is not waiting until years and years of education. Being a disciple maker is what it means to be a Christian. This is the one thing we're called to do. More than church attendance, more than reading, more than just nice, slightly better language, better morals. The question is, are you Helping other people become more like Jesus. You don't have to do it perfectly. You don't even have to know everything and all things. You can just be authentically you 
saying, hey, I'm going after Jesus. Do you want to come with me? The reason we do that is because Jesus' last words should be our first priority. We have a special treat for you guys here in the room. So if you came today, you picked a good one um, because uh, a couple months ago, I had the privilege of going to uh, the Timothy Initiative Global Partners Weekend. For those that might not be familiar with us, we partner with our missions um, com- uh, organization called the Timothy Initiative. That, um, I mean, they're a large organization. We're just a part of it. We don't own it by any means, but we are a partners with them. And because of your generosity, we've been able to plant 320 churches around the world through this organization. Well, today you get a chance to meet one of the head leaders of this organization, of the people that we're working with. I got to sit down with him and interview him, and you're going to hear some extreme stories of that. Now, for security reasons, we can't post this online. So it's not like a scary video by any means, but we, he just can't publish his face online social media because he's in the inner workings of India and Nepal and serving and planting all these churches. This one gentleman, just so you understand the authority behind this, is currently leading, uh, I'm going to get the numbers correct here, 134 training centers. That's training 2,400 church planters right now that are all going to plant in the next year. And he's going to share a story of six generations of disciples, of everyday people experiencing the miracles of God leading the next person to Christ, who leads the next person to Christ, and so on. And I'm here to tell you this, that if God can work in these extreme settings, I promise you he can work in our setting right here, right now. Right? If you think of clothing and things like that, uh, they test in extreme weather, so then the everyday use, right? I want you to know, number one, these are everyday people. These are not quote-unquote special. They're special, but they're special because of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to hear stories of the unlikely, the overlooked, who turned around and discipled somebody else. And if they can do it, church, we can do it. I'm sorry I can't post this online. We're going to end the live stream. But here's what I'll do. If you want to watch this, um, send me a message. Fill out that form. I can set up a secure link so you can watch it. We just can't post it anywhere. Okay? So I want you to be able to see that too. Let me pray, and then we're going to watch this interview. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for just being here today. Your last words should be our first priority. To be your disciples is to follow you, to fellowship with each other, and to fish for unbelievers, God. Help us understand our why, and then next, help us understand and identify who we can be discipled by and whom we can be discipling. As next week, we look specifically at how we can actually go about that. We give our ministries up to you, and I lift the Timothy initiative up to you as well as we watch this video together. In your son's name we pray. Amen.